valuable because that is how you're going to be rewarded more by the value that you provide into the marketplace. Be good and we'll see you in the next edition of Money Mail. In the meantime, if you could leave a five-star review and ensure that we can continue to be the most rated podcast in New Zealand, that would be massively appreciated. Welcome and you are listening to another episode of keepthechange.co.nz Money Mail. A very exciting week. I really enjoyed writing this one. I started writing it, uh, probably took me a good few weeks before I sort of finished it off, but I felt like I could have just kept going and going and it could have been bigger and bigger, but I'm mindful of how long these are sometimes in the written format, but also understand that I can go into a bit more detail in the podcast side of things, which is exciting. Now, speaking of podcasts, I have a very, very busy week in store. I'm off to Lighthouse Financial tomorrow and going to do four podcasts with them. And then I'm coming into the studio, Studio Next Advisory with Mikey, and we're recording three or four or as many as we can get through in a few hours. A big, big day of talking. And luckily, that's partly what I was probably born to do because shit, I can talk. Uh, I just recorded a quick video that you'll see as a reel pop up in the next couple of weeks. And it is uh, a message to my 20 year old self because I'm about to turn 35 in March. And I just said, here's five things I wish I could tell or yell at my 35 year old self. And I didn't write these down, I didn't even think about this, I literally just hit record and halfway through I was like fuck I don't know what the fourth and fifth things are but I'm very blessed and lucky that my brain can think on its feet. Now when I say blessed and lucky, part of that is not true because a number of years ago I learned that if you tell yourself here's X amount of things, your brain will actually find those answers and I've done a fair bit of uh, speaking and public speaking and learning how do these people get good at this stuff and what are they doing and you know what uh, you start to see when you're interested in this space what politicians will use to buy themselves some time and different things like this and so one of the tactics you can use is if someone says to you and puts you on the spot and asks you a question you can say well here's the three things that contribute to that and you might instantly have number one. Also, you just need to be careful that you can, uh, you are this sort of person. You know, if you completely hate uh, public speaking, you should. I wouldn't just rely on this and be like, oh, yeah, I'll just start doing that and then be like, fuck, I don't know what any of the three are. So you get me, hopefully. But your brain will actually help you find what two and three are. So often when I'll be doing presentations and stuff, someone might say, you know, oh, my cash flow is struggling or whatnot. And I'll default into, well, here's three reasons that could be happening. And because I'm knowledgeable in that topic, I know that my brain will pull up those answers for me. Or I might say, here's how I look at that, you know, from sort of two angles. And angle one is this. And I'm not actually, I haven't even really thought about what the other angle is yet. But as I'm talking angle one, the second angle will come to me. So partly it's luck and definitely genetics, blessed, training. I've done probably a thousand podcasts plus now. So these things get a little bit easier in presentations and speaking in public and whatnot. But there are these little tactics that you can pull in. But one of the things in this video that I will put out is, is basically, you know, you will get going on your path. You know you've got this in you. I've always had big self-belief in what I could do and be able to achieve things. And I sort of, once I learned that concept of, well, if other people can do it, then why can't I? 
especially if they were in areas that I know that I could be good at. So as an example, I would channel that the wrong way and I would go to the gym and I'd think I'm going to get real fucking big and I'm going to play for the Warriors and I'll, I'll be able to then play for the Kiwis and I'll stop them from losing and fucking how good's that going to be and no, wasn't going to happen. The more I squatted, uh, 63 kilos, thinks the max, just kidding. But, uh, you know, nothing would really happen and I just couldn't, I couldn't actually become that person. Now, either I then believed that and I didn't put enough time into that uh, or I accepted, you know, you're probably going after the wrong calling there, brother. You need to change direction and go over there. And for a while, I'm like, I'm going to get real good at soccer. And I trained heaps and I spent hours and hours and hours and I would spend... Uh, so much time at the park where I wouldn't let myself go home until I juggled the ball 100, 200 times without failing or even doing it five times and stuff. And I'm like, this is going to make, make me so much better. And I got maybe 1% better at football. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus, I'm still not going to play for the Phoenix or the All Whites. Like, what the fuck is going on here? But again, I'm angling myself and putting myself to the wrong direction. Then when I got into sort of business and accounting and stuff, I'm thinking, man, if I can apply all that sort of work ethic over here and get really good at helping other people, which I seem to really enjoy doing, eventually the world surely has to reward me back for doing that because that's sort of how the whole thing works. And so that's sort of the path that I ended up going on. But I would tell my 20-year-old self, stop buying into this kind of, oh, I'll, I'll get to that later, I'll do that later, I'll just do another year at this job or two years at this one, or I might just see how this looks on the CV. I knew that eventually I was going to do something for myself and the sooner that I jumped off that building without knowing when the parachute would open, but knowing that the parachute was there and that I would not splat and hit the ground, that I would find a way, that was going to allow me to get on that journey faster. So that is, I think, one of the most important things that I'd tell my younger self. However, I know that he probably wouldn't listen, and that is the problem with these types of videos. Of like, oh, it's all good and well to go back and say, don't get that credit card and quit your job sooner and stuff. But often we need the things to happen to us to get ourselves to the point before we actually go and do those things. So you might be sitting there thinking about something that you know you want to do in your life, and if it's really pulling you and calling you, my suggestion would be just to try and get like a little bit closer to it, you know, and this week I've been speaking to a business owner who uh, still works outside of his business and he's in a partnership and one day he's going to step into the business and, and he's trying to get himself ready for how do I become that person that doesn't have that job anymore and that's quite frightening so there's a number of steps and stuff to go through but that's probably a, a, a podcast on its own but if you can feel something calling and pulling you and you know deep down that you're going to do that eventually, try and squeeze the time before you're going to do it. Try and figure out what is the gap? And this is what we spoke about with a client this week is what's the gap between where you are now to when you're going to allow yourself to to quit and to step right into that. And part of it was, oh, I just want to get the debt down. And we're like, how much? Oh, I don't know. So that's where we have to understand, well, so this day may never come because you, you don't actually have a solid plan. And it's just a, a feeling of I'd like we'd, uh, you know to have less debt before I do it. But you don't actually know what that debt figure is because we enjoy the process of watching either an asset go up in value or debt come back down. And so that is forever going to be there as long as that debt's there. Now, you've got to figure out for that person, we said, well, if you didn't have that debt, what would you do? And they're like, well, yeah, make it be very easy. I would, I would probably quit. And you're like, cool. So what's the level of debt you're going to need to get to before you're going to give yourself the permission to quit and step into that? So anyway, seven to eight minutes in, 
and uh, we're off on a tangent, but this sort of relates to what we're going to be talking about, and we'll be able to draw on some of those examples as we go. So this week's lesson is work hard, get ahead, question mark. You've no doubt heard that if you work hard, you'll be able to get ahead. Now, I really grasped this concept growing up, and I thought, look, if I outwork people, I'm going to crush it. And from an early age, I ripped straight into work. Now, I, I was very lucky because I grew up with two sets of parents and they're both incredibly hard workers and so naturally I thought well you have to work really hard that is just part of life and also from primary school I would um, go out in my later years uh, six what's it like the year I don't even know before you go to before you go to uh, high school the two years before that anyway sort of like intermediate or whatever I would catch the bus and it would take me half an hour so I'd go out to a country school so then I'd have to be up earlier so my day was longer naturally anyway. Then when I went to secondary school, I decided I wanted to go. I lived in Dannyburg. I wanted to go to school in Palmerston North. And so I would catch the bus every day. So that would take an hour to an hour and 10 each way. So then I had to get up even earlier again. And we'd have, what is a, a school day? 19, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3, like seven hours. So then bolt on a couple. So now I'm at sort of like 10 hours effectively um, of travel and schooling plus getting up earlier. And then I would get home and I would have to do some homework. So I was having a long day from a very early age, and that was just normal to me. And then I discovered this thing of, oh, I can get a job and I can make some cash. So I got a paper run whilst I was at school, and I would juggle this with school, and sometimes I'd do it in the pitch black at night because I'd have to do my homework first or get home in the winter, and it would be dark after I got back from the bus, and I'm like, your boy's out there on his BMX. What was my BMX? Can't even remember. Anyway, it wasn't a flash one. It was a, a shit one. Um, and anyway, what that would mean is that I would have to squeeze this stuff into it or I would do it in the morning and it just had to be done. But this isn't some poor me shit. This is me helping you understand and myself understand where some of this work ethic and thinking came from as I got further into my life. Now, then I went into working in a four square. So I bin the paper route type thing. And I got to work at a Foursquare and I got to learn heaps about customer experience. I got to step into my skill set a little bit where I got to speak with customers and try and make them smile and find out what they'd be doing. And that was just how I was. And I was leaning into the strengths that I have and I now still use those things and now I can see what that was. And that was a really cool time of my life because I got to be in that sort of retail grocery type space and see the same people coming in and have yarns and start to build familiarity and there was a varying amount of things you could do. So you could start in the morning, you could start in the afternoon, I'd work weekends, uh, I might even try and juggle that with drinking a bit of Christoph vodka with my mates. Sure, good stuff that, far out, mixing it with V, I think, or even Pepsi from the KFC, just whatever, not recommended. But anyway, I learnt a lot in that process too, but I was weaving high school with working at Foursquare and then starting to drink and being a, a, a teenager, chasing around a few girls, you know, topping up the phone, uh, getting no texts back. Interesting, must have changed the number that she gave me. Hmm. Or maybe she doesn't have any credit. Yeah, okay, anyway, never got to the bottom of that. Then in summer, I worked at a freezing works. Now, fuck, I hated this. So 5 a.m. starts again in the dark. This was more over summer, so not juggling it with school, just out there doing 40-hour weeks scared as shit working on a slaughter board uh, if you don't know what that means that is where the animals get uh, killed and then they get processed first on that uh, on that floor and then carry on around and it's just a chain environment and a scary environment for a young fella to be in when you're a little pussy like I was and still am to this day working with some pretty hardened people that have been there for years and know their shit and they sort of test you a little bit 
Now, I never forget one day walking down the slaughter board and uh, this, I hear this banging and I turn around and this guy's like whacking his knife on this pole. And he's telling me, and he, and he, and he uh, signals like pulling it across his throat and he points to me like, fuck off mouthing to me, fuck off down there, back to where I work. And I would, I'd gone up early from the break to then just see what was happening uh, down the other end. And he was saying, you don't belong here, mate, fuck off. And uh, that still haunts me to this night. And I would like your donations so I can spend some time with a counsellor to continue to work through that. I'm only joking. But that's the sort of shit, right? And those are the like, little lessons where I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to be doing this for my life. This seems a bit weird, this setup. Then I went into a distribution centre, and I love that, working packing orders for the countdowns around the lower North Island. So if that's where you shop, shout out to you because you were helping support people like me who worked in those roles. And I started to understand how a distribution centre worked. I realised, fuck, this is inefficient, but it is what it is. But again, summer hours, then I was juggling it with uni, um, and I, I just had uh, an abundance of coin effectively because you got paid well in these, and I was always willing to do overtime, time and a half, want me to work a stat day, let's go. Then I graduated past uh, the old distribution centre, and I wore, when I went to my chartered accounting exam, I wore my high-vis singlet I used to wear to the, wear to the distribution centre because fucking hot, you'd pack these thousand kilo orders effectively and you just rinse and repeat it all day not always a thousand kegs but you know basically there's only so big or tall a uh, a package can be that goes to a supermarket to fit on a truck so you've got to build it to that size and then it gets wrapped up but anyway you'd be you get a good workout and, and it was good for you it was good solid work but I wore my high-vis vest to my chartered accounting exam as a reminder of like mate do not fuck this up this is the next step in your journey going forward, otherwise you could end up back in that distribution centre and God forbid going back to the freezing works. Not that there's anything wrong with those jobs, I just knew that that wasn't what life had in store for me and I had to go and explore other things, but I had to unlock these other chapters by making sure I got shit done that I needed to do, i.e. passing my chartered accounting exam. So then I got into my early career where I would do auditing, and geez, it was boring. So we're not even going to talk about that. But basically, you go around auditing sets of financials, make sure it's all accurate, all oh, your processes in place. God save me. You're going to turn this fucking podcast off if I talk about that for too much longer, okay? So anyway, there would be travel. Oh, look, we have to leave on a Monday at 7 a.m., drive up to the Hawks Bay, and we'll be there to Friday afternoon or whatever. And I'm like, yo, let's roll, because there's a 75 or $65 per night allowance tax-free for staying away from home, you goddamn bet your ass that I'm going to be collecting that for four nights, giving me $240 extra, is that right? Maybe more than that. And I'm then going to spend bugger all when I'm away and buy some cans of spaghetti and shit and live still real dirty like I was uh, back in the student days so that I could bank that tax-free cash. So I had a shit ton of coin from quite an early age earning. Do I still have it? Well, we'll get to that. But if there was overtime, I was working. And then, as you get into a career, rather than getting paid per hour, you start to, you start to get, like, here's your salary. So that's 60000 Now, I still had this work ethic of, well, there's some work to be done. I'm going to work on the Saturday. But I wasn't getting paid anymore. I was often getting unpaid, but I was still applying my, well, this is how I roll. This is how you get ahead by working hard. So yeah, I'll do some extras on a Saturday. And sometimes when I was in the NACI for my accounting uh, boss outside of auditing, so my next job after that, he might come in on the weekend to pick something up. I'd be like, wait, what the fuck are you doing in here? 
I'm like, oh, just doing a bit of work, mate. There's a fair bit on at the moment. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, well, geez, mate, like, get some mates or something, seriously. I'm like, wait, like, well, I want to balance this fucking spreadsheet up. And I just enjoyed it because I've always liked working, but I've been doing this from a young age. So I think I've just been conditioned to do it. To do it. But any chance there was for me to stack some paper through each of those jobs and outwork other people, I was doing. Now, the big problem of all of this is that I hadn't learned to be a good saver and all of the other stuff I now bang on about. I earned pl- plenty but I didn't know how to keep it. So I didn't have good financial skills. My habit of hard work rewarded me, but I hadn't built those skills that I needed yet. Part of the reason I would blow it was because I would want to reward myself for how hard I was working. I would think, well, I've done the hard work. Why not splash out now? And as I got older, I could tell something was broken and it wasn't just hard work that would be needed for me to change the trajectory of my life. I started to think about sports stars, wealthy people, high income earners, people who retire early. What did they know that I didn't? Had they done all the same shit? Were they doing things differently? Did they just work really hard and someone notice and then give them plenty of cash? For a long time in my life, that's sort of what I just thought would happen. I just thought, if you work hard, and even if you add heaps of value, eventually people will just come to you and just be like, well done, I'm going to reward you and give you heaps of cash. And I'm sure that that can kind of happen where you might then get left money uh, in a will or something like that. But I don't think that that's the best way to go about it because at some stage you have to go out and ask because you need them to know that they actually can transact with you. But anyway, maybe these people didn't piss away what they did earn or didn't tick up lazy boys for their flat. And the bit that I didn't put in the mail here but is very applicable is that when I earned more income, it allowed me to basically go and borrow more money and get finance and stuff that I could then buy Lazy Boys with and couches and beds and all this shit that we've spoken about previously and neutral bullets and just whatever I wanted, your boy, he was getting it. But I was doing it on debt because I was thinking, well, it's interest free and I earn a stack load, so they will then lend it to me because they know I'm good for it. So I was getting myself even into further trouble. So the harder I was working, the more I was earning, but the more I was blowing, which is fucking stupid when you think about it, isn't it? But hey, um, that's how we learn these things. But firstly, before we get into some of these things that then we can be thinking about doing, because I discovered that these people did know something I didn't. But before we get into that, I just want to point this out. So in January 2023, I noticed that the hard work methodology is still alive and well. We still teach people this. And this is a quote. If you work hard... You should be able to get ahead. Some people are working multiple jobs, but they feel they aren't getting ahead. Now, this was our new Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, on the first day in the job speaking to the media. Now, surely we should be able to get ahead when we work hard. Now, like I genuinely believe that. I don't know what getting ahead actually is, as a side note, but you would think that if you work hard, you should be able to get ahead in the country. It just seems like that's... Ex- something you should expect but what the Prime Minister is telling us is people are working multiple jobs but they feel they aren't getting ahead so we've got the feeling we're not getting ahead and how is this happening who knows you know this is all the other things we speak about in pods where there's inflation and just interest rates going up and whatnot and people are going well there's tax bracket creep and I've got less money left over I'm struggling to save and different things right so we know that this isn't really working but we're still trying to teach people like work hard and you should be able to get ahead And maybe it's just not how it is. But one thing we need to remember is that humans are wired to do the least possible for the maximum possible return. So what that means is that when we can, 
humans, we'll look for a way to do the least possible. As an example, this morning, instead of hanging the washing out, I'm like, fuck it, I'm putting it in the dryer because it's just going to be way easier for me. So that's what I did. So as a human, I'm wired to be like, well, there's going to be less effort and I'm still going to get the same outcome and it's actually going to be faster than drying it. I don't need to put it out then pull it all back in. So I use the dryer. So that's what we're looking for as humans, ways to do things with the least possible input for the maximum possible return. But back to my life-changing discovery and that it's not just about working hard, it's about adding value, adding value. Now you'll hear me talking about this all the time. So you can't just work hard, you have to work smart. Who's heard that? Work smarter, not harder. I'm like, what the fuck? What is working smart? So I had to go away and I had to study that. And I had to figure out, why do people say this? What does that actually mean to work smart? Because no one really talks about that. It's like, oh, you know, but work smarter. And you're like, yeah, cool. Like, how does that one thing apply to me? Because I work in a different industry than you or whatnot. But everyone seems to say it. So I went away and I tried to get a grasp on it. And I thought, once I understood this, I thought, well, shit, why not do both? Like, I love hard work. I've been doing that for a long time. I have for years, now I need to learn about adding value and I just need to understand this piece because people pay for value. So whilst researching, I stumbled across Bob Proctor's law of compensation. The law states that the amount of money you will earn will always be in the exact ratio to these three things. Number one, the need for what you do. Number two, your ability to do it. Number three, the difficulty there will be in replacing you. Okay, okay, so it's not just about doing overtime and working hard, because it doesn't say that in here. It doesn't say the law of compensation is to do overtime, work hard, do some extra hours, outwork everyone else. Like, that's the methodology that I had. So now I needed to focus on these three things. Again, what you do, your ability to do it, and the difficulty there will be in replacing you. So if this Bob dude was right, he was making me realize that I could easily be replaced as a paperboy, in a factory, in a Foursquare Superette, in a distribution center, I didn't even need to be that good to do those things either. And shit, you not, I thought I was really good at each of those, but really anyone could have done them. So yes, there was need for me to do those things so then I'd get paid. My ability was okay-ish, and the difficulty there was in replacing me. Well, there was no difficulty in replacing me. Like none of those organizations had rung me been like, oh, we so desperately want you back. So I was very replaceable, right? So there was something broken in what I had learned. Now, I know, I now knew that I needed to keep looking for something in higher demand, get really good at it, and be so good at it, it'd be hard for me to re- be replaced. But remember from above, humans are wired to do as little as possible and hope for the maximum possible return. That is human nature. Therefore, we most probably won't increase our ability to do something without understanding this. And it makes sense why those people with massive levels of ability get remunerated appropriately in their chosen field. So as an example, think of an All Black. Now, the need for what they do, well, it's pretty big because we want All Blacks to play rugby so that we can get entertained, go to the stadium, spend heaps of cash, get on the beers, have some bloody hot doggies, and then go home at the end of the day being like, fuck yeah, my team won the game. So there's a high demand for an All Black, their ability to do it. Well, you've got to be pretty bloody good to be an All Black because, as I discovered, I never made the Warriors, nor the, NR, uh, the NZ Rugby League team, nor the Phoenix football team, nor the All Whites because my ability to do that sucks. But those people that have good ability to do these things, well, they can get into these positions. Now, the difficulty in replacing them, well, this is where it gets real sexy because how hard or how easy is it to replace Bowden Barrett? Pretty fucking hard because he's very, very good at what he does. So then when other teams from around the world come along and go, well, who's the best in the game? They're like, well, it's Bodie Barrett, isn't it? So yeah, we'll probably go and get him. So then his value increases. And that's why 
you know, you'll go through an All Blacks team, you think, oh, remember when they played? Oh, they only got like two games. Oh, because they were actually quite easily replaceable. So when you become so good at something, it becomes then very difficult for you to be replaced. So you want to think about how you can put that into your own world and what you can be doing to be in high demand, be really good at it, and then be very difficult to replace. So for instance, you might be the only forklift driver at an organisation of 10, but the forklift work has to be done. There's a high chance that if you said, hey, I would like a pay rise, they're going to go, well, look, we're going to have to give you one because otherwise you're going to quit and we need this done, so you'd be in a good position to get a pay rise. Remember the downside risk, though, in that example is that they would probably go, well, there's a risk here, we can't let this happen again, we're going to upskill someone else. So when you're really good at what you do and it's, uh, you know, it becomes more difficult to replace you, so what we've all got to do is train ourselves out of this do the minimum required. So imagine if Bodhi Barit was like, you know what, I am pretty good at this code thing, but fuck, I'm not training. I'm not going to run a 411 Bronco. Why, like, why should I? I'm going to beat the team anyway. I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to go down and do extras and kick and increase my kicking percentage by 1% because that could mean the difference between me kicking a game winner for the Blues, for the Hurricanes, for the All Blacks or whatever. But he does that shit because he's trained himself out of, I assume, like he must have, he's trained himself out of do the bare minimum. Otherwise, he would have been long gone. And he would, just, he would just be replaced by someone else coming through the system. And of course, he's still got to compete for his position, but he's still very good at what he does, and that means that his career carries on. So you've got to train yourself out of this, oh, just do the minimum required and the quiet quitting and all the bullshit. Like, do you reckon that works in that fucking environment? Of course it doesn't. So just think a little bit differently. But remember, you're hardwired to think, I'll oh, do the bare minimum required. I did the same thing today before I came here, put all of my washing into the dryer. But... If you want to go further in life and you genuinely want more from your life, you've got to understand that you've got to go above and beyond and do more than the minimum required, but you have to do it smart and you have to work within this law of compensation. Now, the beauty for you and I is that many people will never do this. So you're now more likely to succeed and achieve more than you realize is possible if you do. As an example, there's probably 100 heroes that have come along and said, I could be way better than Bodhi Barit and I'll take his spot, but very few have. Why? Because they're probably not willing to go to the levels that that lad does, and they can't actually get better than him, and then they don't get their chance because they don't have enough ability, which is better than Bodie's, so then they don't actually get given a shot, and then they decide, like, oh, I'm over it, I'm done. And you can apply this to so many different things in the world. But if you want to be at the top of your game, and you want to be really valuable, you've got to get really valuable, and you've got to do the things that make you more valuable. So as an example for Bodhi, he might be like, fuck, I'm bored of kicking, I don't want to do kicking anymore, but he probably knows, well, that's a really good asset that I can build into my game, so I should be really good at it, because I can kick off both feet, I can kick one from 40, I can kick one from 50, I can kick it from the sideline, whatever, increasing your value, because other people may not have put time into getting as good at that, so then when it comes down to two different people, they're going to go for that one. So... We can apply these same methodologies into our own life, can't we? But perhaps you're listening to this thinking you want to get ahead or simply be paid more. So you need to think about what you can do as part of the three-point framework of the law of compensation from Bob Proctor to increase your likelihood. Simply doing more hours like I thought was the play may not be the right thing to do. 
Sure, you may earn a bit more because others aren't prepared to do the extra hours. And I used to see this in the distribution center all of the time where I would go, yeah, I'll do those. And other people would be like, we're not. So like, mean, I can soak those hours up. Time and a half, baby. Straight down to the pokies at the empty vessel on the way home and a couple of beers and then rinse that cash anyway and be like, why the fuck did I just do that four hours of work? But that's a story for another day. So the tactic is working harder, not working smarter. She, I need to uh, read that from the start again so that actually makes sense. So sure, you may earn a bit more because others aren't prepared to do the extra hours, but this tactic is working harder, not smarter. So simply doing overtime is just working harder, right? It's potentially not working smarter. It's then what you do with that overtime cash, how you make that smart. Do you then build yourself a runway to be able to quit your job to do something for yourself? Do you then invest that? Uh, do you invest it into your children's education, your retirement, the things that you actually want from your life? Now, some of you might be like, well, this Bob Proctor guy, like, I don't, this fucking law of compensation, this, this just seems bullshit, I don't really care, he's probably made this up anyway. Well, check out what one of the richest people in the world says, and now there'll be a bunch of you, I don't like this guy anyway, listen to the message, not the messenger, you dickhead, okay? We've got to get better at just being like, well, it doesn't matter if you do or don't like someone, try and understand what they're trying to teach you. So this person says that you are paid in direct proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve, and that is Elon Musk. You are paid in direct proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve. Now there's a reason that he's so valuable and one of the richest people in the world, because he's trying to solve big fucking problems, and there's a big need for what he does. He's got the ability to do it, and it's very hard to replace Elon Musk, because he's very one of a kind, isn't he? So the law of compensation, he's distilled into, you are paid in direct proportion to the difficulty of the problems you solve. That's why, if you want a lot in life, it's wise to get very good at solving very hard problems. But that is not how we are wired. Remember, we want to do the bare minimum, bare minimum for the maximum possible return. Now, as an example, I saw yesterday, someone sent me a video, a policeman said, Check this out, mate. You know, stick this in, you keep the change and smoke it. And basically, it was a video breaking down someone that was a solo parent with a child on a benefit and what they would have after they got an accommodation allowance, those sorts of things. And at the end of the week, after tax, what they would have versus the same person if they put their child in daycare, they went to work, they paid their taxes, and the person on the benefit. If the person did this calculation correctly, which it looked pretty accurate and people were backing it up in the comments, the person on the benefit would be rewarded with more than the person working. Now, is that broken? Fuck, who knows? Like, I've just given up trying to figure out how things should or shouldn't be anymore. But that's obviously going to encourage a lot of people to go, well, why would I go back to work? And that's probably also going to encourage some people to go, well, I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to get a benefit. But Remember as well, like if that's your mind, because, so the point of that is that remember that you're then, because what you're thinking is, well, I can do less, the bare minimum, and then I can get a better return. So you can see why uh, Kiwis, why humans would choose to do that, and it makes sense. It's how we are wired. Is that right? Is it wrong? Like my, that's not right. That's my opinion, and I know not everyone's going to agree with that, but when you quit on working, there are, second order consequences and flow on impacts of that. When you're not progressing towards something, your life becomes very dangerous and you then have other things you have to encounter. You start to get bored, you start to become destructive, you could face depression, anxiety, mental health issues, but you're not going to tie those to not working. You're just going to be like, well, I've just got these things, I've just popped up, where have they come from? So work's really good for us to give us structure, to give us hope that we're actually being able to put our time towards something, 
but that's what I believe, right? And that's what I've encountered through my life. But I know that not everyone believes that. And also, they're not going to want to believe it, are they? Because they're going to go, well, fuck off, mate. I want the most I can for the little possible. But also, once you understand how the tax rules and how the world works, you can't unlearn that. And what that means is for me, now, if I was to think, well, I might just burn everything I do and go and sit on a benefit, I would know that you listening are paying for that. And that would fuck with me because I have learned how it works. And I'm all for supporting people and giving ourselves safety nets and looking after the vulnerable But there's a difference between someone who is vulnerable and someone who's choosing to manipulate a system because they're just playing to their human nature of, I'll do the least amount I can for the maximum possible return. Now, now that I, like I say, know morally I would really struggle to live like that because I know, well, I'm making you or other taxpayers pay for the life that I want to live and I'm not actually contributing and that would really eat me away but I know that that's not the case for everybody so that just gives you some context of how I look at that and the things that I've built into my life in terms of the way that I look at some of the things that are going on and then make it hard for me to understand why people would make the decisions that they make but if we can see things from both ways it's often good to just keep us from getting too bitter angry all those sorts of things and you just keep going on so Let's wrap this up because we've gone past the half hour mark. You're one of over 6,900 recipients. There's been a lot of people signing up recently, which is cool. 15,000 tuning into the, the podcast, hopefully this month in February. And uh, the did you know for the week is only 2,759 residential properties were sold in New Zealand in January. This is the lowest month recorded, 2,759. Now, when the GFC was going on, the global financial crisis, uh, there was still like 3,500 sales a month so this is really low and then you'll be seeing you probably know a mate who's left the real estate game or quit or got into something different because when there's just not a volume this is when it just shakes out all the people that aren't very committed to it right so if we think about the law of compensation real estate agents well when the market's hissing there's a big need for what they do they don't even have to be that good and they can be easily replaced but there's so much demand going on that they get paid really well because there's such a huge demand for what they do. Strip it down to only 2,759 properties in New Zealand wide getting sold in January, well, there's not much need for what a real estate agent does because the buyer isn't there. Now, they could be really good at it, but if the market isn't going to meet, well, it doesn't really matter. But the ones that are selling those properties are obviously good to get the deals done and get them across the line. Now, the difficulty in replacing you, well, shit, it's not very hard to replace a, uh, a real estate agent at the moment, is it? Because a lot of them are, are giving up and they're quitting. So they're not getting compensated to the level of which they were in a boom because the law of compensation is now working against them. However, for the ones that dig in and kick some ass, Taylor, I know you're listening, they are the ones that will still benefit from the law of compensation because the number of agents will decrease. So that will then dem- uh, increase the demand for the ones that stay they're still good at it, so their ability to do it is still good. And then the difficulty in replacing them is high because they're a good agent. And so then that's when the snowball impact happens for them and they stay in the game, they stay longer and they build that credibility and they start to build databases and they do all the things that the, the people that want to get out wouldn't be willing to do and they then get rewarded by the law of compensation. So there we go. A number of good examples for you there. If you ever want to tell me your financial story of reopened up the link at the bottom of 
uh, the email, which is a Google form that you can fill out and you can leave a story of your financial journey. A number of people have done that. Some of them are quite grunty. I've done one podcast reading these out and some people have asked for more stories of other people. So I'm going to be trying to do more interviews, but I'm also going to read out some of these stories and discuss them with Mikey or even just do them singular uh, on my own as well. So be good out there. Look after yourself. Work hard for the money like Donna Summer does. Donna Summer? Yeah, Donna Summer. But also remember to try and figure out how you can become more and more valuable because that is how you're going to be rewarded more by the value that you provide to the marketplace. Be good and we'll see you in the next edition of Money Mail. In the meantime, if you could leave a five-star review and ensure that we can continue to be the most rated podcast in New Zealand, that would be massively appreciated. 